The following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. Would you open up to Psalm 136? So what I want to do today is continue a message that I started preaching on the 12th of April. And on the 12th of April, I spoke on five things that God can't do. Five things. And so on the, on the um, 12th of April, I spoke about five things that God can't do. First of all, he can't break a promise. How many of you think that's a good thing? When God makes a promise, he doesn't break a promise. The second thing he can't do is stop thinking about us. How many of you... How many of you think it's just wonderful that God can't stop thinking about you? While you were asleep last night, you weren't thinking about yourself, but God was thinking about you. He was thinking, how can I get them into church today to bless them? How can I get them at a place where they can hear my word? How can I bless them? How can I increase them? How can I bring them closer to me? Constantly thinking about you. I think that's just just a beautiful thought. And if you want to do more research on that, just read Psalm 139. Beautiful chapter on God can't stop thinking about you. He can't remember your past sins. He separates them from you as far as the east is from the west. How many of you know that sometimes we struggle with our past sins? We, we're constantly reminding ourselves of our past failures, but God's forgotten them. God has actually forgotten all of your past sins. If you have repented, it's under the blood of Jesus, forgiven, separated from you. It's cast into the depths of the sea, it says in Micah chapter 7. How many of you think that's awesome that God has forgotten all of our past sins? Turn to the person next to you and say, you needed to hear that. <laughs> Okay, (laughs) there you go. Number four, he can't stop loving you. I love that, that God can't stop loving us. He loves us with an everlasting, eternal love. And number five, he will never abandon you. When he promised that he will never leave you nor forsake you, that's, that's the God. He can never abandon you. And so today, I want to talk about three things, another three things. That's the title of our message. And you say, well, why are you preaching this message? Well, the reason I'm preaching it is because we all have God concepts. Every single one of us has a concept about God. And that concept can either be accurate or it can be inaccurate. I grew up in a very legalistic Pentecostal church. How many of you grew up in a legalistic church? So I grew up with a really mean God concept. Um, My God, when I was a kid growing up, was always looking at what I was doing wrong. And so how many of you can relate to that? And so you you would approach. So so let me tell you that message on the fear of God. Oh, man, we had that down pat. We knew a man. We lived in the fear of God. It was just and and the rapture because we grew up with a lot of rapture preaching. And and I can still remember um, growing up and, and I shared a bedroom with my sister when I was a little kid. I'm talking about five, six years of age. And I'd sort of wake up in the morning uh, looking to see if my sister was still in bed because she was better than I was. She was she was kinder and, and nicer than me. And so if she was still in bed, then I would say, you know, I'd be able to breathe easy because the rapture hadn't come. But if for some reason she was out of the room, I was already panicking. Oh no, maybe, maybe I missed out. You know? <laughs> we used to have people phone up the pastor to find out if he's still around in case they'd missed the rapture, you know. It was like that scare of that, that whole fear. 
And so, yeah, and, and so we've got to be careful because pendulums tend to swing. I think if anything today, rather than the fear of God, we've gone right the other way and, uh, and hearing so many messages on the grace of God that it's like anything goes, it doesn't matter what you do. Or, yeah, God will forgive. It's okay, fine, fine. I think we've just got to get that whole thing balanced well so that our God concepts are biblically correct rather than, 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 than just out of kilter. So, so God concepts are so important, and, and this message is all about getting a right God concept. And one of the great God concepts that I want you to grab hold of is that God is good. Everybody say, God is good. His mercy endures forever. And there's this, there's this scripture, there's this Psalm 136, where 26 times in one Psalm, it says that his loving kindness, his mercy endures forever. Can you believe that? 26 times. Now, if something is said once, that's important. If it's said twice, it sort of draws your attention. If it's said three times, then you better stand to attention. So what happens when it's said 26 times? 26 times. That sort of says you don't want to miss this because this is really important. And so in Psalm 136, it says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Then it goes on. It says, Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. If you were in the first service, I got everyone to repeat that for his mercy endures forever 26 times. But you guys are really intelligent in this service, so I don't need to say it 26 times for you to get it. Or do I? Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> there you go. Okay. I'm going to do it. The do it's voted out. The don't do it. So, 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 this, is, so this is what we're going to do. Okay. We, we're going to get this. We're going to get this, that God's mercy endures forever. Now, when I say God's mercy, let me, let me give you insight into what this word is. How many of you know the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek? And so if you want to get the deeper meanings of the words, you go into the Hebrew if you're reading the Old Testament or the Greek if you're reading the New Testament. So I went into the Hebrew for this word mercy. And it comes from a root word, a root Hebrew word, which means to extend the neck towards. So so when you extend Extend the neck towards, you're actually leaning into, as opposed to extending the neck away. So, so how many of you know that in body language, when someone is really interested in you, they lean in, and when they're not interested, they lean out. How many of you know that? So I want you all to lean in towards me when I'm preaching here today. I need to feel the love. I need, oh, I'm feeling the love already. There's love in the house. Well, this is what God is doing. He's actually leaning in towards you. So when it says his mercy endures forever, it's God's leaning towards you to show you favor, grace, mercy, forgiveness endures forever. Isn't that amazing that God's leaning in towards you rather than leaning in away from you? And so that's what this word mercy means. He's leaning in towards you to show you mercy, loving kindness, favor, forgiveness. It's all there available to you. His mercy endures forever. So this is what it says. I give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Okay, that's 
That's your part. Okay, your part is for his mercy endures forever. Let's try it all together. After three. One, two, three. I want you to say it as if you believe it. After three. One, two, three. His mercy that's what I'm talking about right there. That's what I'm talking about. So, okay. So, I'll do my part, and then you do your part. Are you ready? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who by wisdom made the heavens. To him who laid out the earth above the waters. To him who made great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn. And brought Israel from among them. With a strong hand and with an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. And made Israel pass through it by its midst. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings and slew famous kings. Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel and his servants, who remembered us in our lowly state. And rescued us from our enemies. Who gives food to all flesh. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. Have you got it? Do it again. (laughs) What have you got? (laughs) For his mercy endures forever. And so you need that when you're feeling separated from God. You need that when you're feeling alone. You need that when you're just not feeling good. You need to know that it doesn't matter how you feel, God's mercy endures forever. How many of you know that's a great God concept? Okay. So let me, let me share with you another three things that God can't do. Okay. Again, it's this whole God concept thing. So we talked about he can't break a promise. He can't stop thinking about us. He can't remember our past sins. He can't stop loving us. He can never abandon us. Third, the sixth thing, which is the first of the another three things, is that he can't fail. God can't fail. This is what it says in Jeremiah 32, verse 17. There is nothing too hard for you. There is nothing too hard for you. Nothing. Nothing too hard for you. This is connected to one of God's natural attributes. There are four things that that we believe are God's natural attributes. Number one, he's omnipotent. Number two, he's omniscient. Number three, he's omnipresent. And number four, he's eternal. So those four natural attributes 
determine God above everything else. So omnipotence basically means God is all-powerful. Omniscience means God is all-knowing. Omnipresence is mean, means that God is everywhere at the same time. And eternal means that God has no beginning and no end. So let me put it another way. Omnipotence means there's no limit to his power. Omniscience means there's no limit to his knowledge. Omnipresence means there's no limit to his presence. And eternal means there's no limit to his time. How many of you know that that's exactly the opposite with us? Our power is limited. Huh? Amen? Come on, can I hear an amen? Our knowledge is limited. I don't care if you wear a T-shirt. I don't need Google. My wife knows everything. I don't care if you... (laughs) Sorry about that. That was below the belt. But uh, the fact is that only God knows everything. Even Google is limited. Even Siri sometimes says, I I don't know the answer to that. How awesome is that when Siri says, I don't know the answer to that. But God does not have that limitation. We're limited and we can only be at one place at one time. So I'm so glad that you're all in church today. It's a good place to be on a Sunday. And the fact is that all of us are born and all of us are going to die. We have a beginning, we have an end, but not God. And this is where natural man is, is, just comes undone right there. You know, where did God come from? And who made God? And where's God's beginning? Um, see, that's just showing your natural mind. That's just showing me your limitations. And that's showing me the limitations of your brain. Because God is not limited by time. God is not limited by space. God is not limited by knowledge. God is not limited by power. So we're limited, but he is limitless. Isn't that awesome to have a God that's limitless? How many of you think that's awesome? And so this is something that we need to understand that he can't fail. He cannot fail. Now, there's no problem that's too hard for God. There's no challenge that's too hard for God. There is nothing that's too difficult for him. They might be difficult for us, but they're not difficult for God. So you say, where are you going? Where are you going on this? Okay, this is where I'm going on this. You've got to make a decision whether you're going to be on the Lord's side. That's the decision you're going to make. There's a line that's drawn in the sand of eternity. And the line is this, who's on the Lord's side? That's exactly what Moses said in Exodus 32, 26, when the children of Israel had started to worship the golden calf. They'd been taken out of Israel. We just read about that. They've been, sorry, they've been taken out of Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. Poor old Moses has to go up to the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and meet with God. And while he was up there, they decided, oh, poor old Moses, I'm coming back. This God that defeated the Egyptians, I don't know what's happened to him. Why don't we make another God? Let's throw some gold in the fire. And and they created a golden calf. And then when Moses came out uh, and said to Aaron, what have you done? He says, look, we got a bit of gold. We threw it in the fire and this calf came out. The golden calf came out of the fire. So Moses was pretty upset. He drew a line in the sand and he says, okay, those of you that are on the Lord's side, step over the line. Come on. 
from, step over the line. And so that day, those that made a decision to step over that line and determine that they were going to be on the Lord's side won an incredible victory. Those that stayed on the other side got defeated and a lot of them died that day. So here's my question for you. Whose side are you on? And if you're on the Lord's side, I want you to say, I'm on the Lord's side. Whose side are you on? That sounded good, but some of you didn't say it with enough gusto. I'm going to say it one more time. Whose side are you on? Oh, I love that. You say, well, what's, what's the big deal about being on the Lord's side? Well, the big deal of being on the Lord's side is that you're on the side that ends up winning. You're on the side that ends up with success. And it doesn't matter what the score is at halftime. Because the devil right now thinks he's doing okay. The devil at this time thinks, man, I've got all these things under my control. I've got ISIS on my control. I've got all these murderers on my control. Man, they're cutting Christians' heads off. Boy, I tell you, we're winning. We're winning. And let me tell you something. The last trumpet hasn't sounded yet. The last post hasn't been played yet. I'm telling you, God has not said it's finishing time. We are still in the midst of it. I'm telling you, it's not what the score is at half time that matters. And so often when you're watching your favorite football team and you're going to half time, it looks like it doesn't look good. But all of a sudden the coach says, hey guys, whatever they've scored this half, we can do better in our half. Come on. We got, we, we, we've got another half. The game isn't over until the referee blows the whistle. Let's see what we can do to win. Well, I want to say to you that if you're on the Lord's side, I've already read the last chapter of the Bible. Here it is, spoiler alert. How many of you understand what a spoiler alert is? When you go to the movies and someone tells you how it's going to finish, it's a spoiler alert. So I'm about to give you a spoiler alert. If you don't want to hear how it finishes, stick your fingers in your ears because I'm about to tell you how it all finishes. Who's on the Lord's side? Well, here's the spoiler alert. You get to win. (laughs) That's the spoiler alert. So this is really important that you understand that your life is written in chapters. And there's a final chapter, but you're not in the final chapter yet. Let me show you. Probably one of the most famous stories in the Bible is the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. How many of you, how many of you read the story of the prodigal son or heard it preached a trillion times? Okay, let, let me do it in chapters, okay? Chapter 1 is not even mentioned in the Bible, but it's real. And so chapter 1 is a little boy is born in a, in, in, in a great house, and that little boy is given all of the blessings that father had. Amazing blessing. Father had many servants, and this little boy was given the best of everything. Chapter 1. Chapter 2 is where our story starts. And chapter 2 is that the little boy becomes a rebellious boy. And that's how we get the story of the prodigal son. He's in father's house. He's forgotten about all the blessing. Now he just wants to get out. He just wants to get out. And so in chapter 2, we get this rebellious boy that goes to dad and says, Dad, 
Give me the inheritance. I'm out. I don't want to be in your house anymore. I want to be out. And so chapter 2 is this chapter of rebellion in the house. How many of you have ever been in a scenario where there's rebellion in your house? How many of you have been in a scenario where your kids have decided one day, and if you've got little kids, that's a wonderful thing. But, you know, some, sometimes when you get older, you, your kids become teenagers or whatever, and they get into this rebellious state, and they forget about all the benefits, and they get to chapter 2 of the novel, and they're in rebellion. I'm going to leave home, rah, 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 rah. But you've just got to hang in there because chapter 2 is not the end of the story. And so that's exactly what happened there. And then you get into chapter 3. And what's chapter 3? Now chapter 3 is the fun and games. So we get the scenario. He's got all of his inheritance. He's left home. He's out there in the world living it up. Man, he's got friends to the left. He's got friends to the right. Why? Because he's got money in his pockets. It's an amazing thing when you've got money in your pockets, how you're surrounded by friends. He's living it up. But because no income's coming in, the pockets are getting emptier and emptier and emptier, and then suddenly he puts his hand in his pocket to pull it out, and there's nothing to pull out. And as there was no money to pull out, the friends deserted him. And then we get into chapter 4, and chapter 4 is the pigsty. There's this chapter called the pigsty. What an incredible chapter that is. And he's sitting in the pigsty looking after pigs. Why? Because he had no money. He had no friends, no resources. He got to the end of himself in the pigsty. And he's looking around in the pigsty and is just trying to eke out a living in the pigsty. And then finally we get to chapter 5. And chapter 5 is this amazing chapter where he's still in the pigsty, but now everything about him starts to change. Rather than looking at the negatives in his dad, now he's looking at the positives. He's thinking, my dad was such a good bloke. Why couldn't I see it? Man, he even treated his servants well. Wow. You know, let alone his sons, even his servants had food enough to eat every single day. In chapter 5, he's thinking about his dad. In chapter 5, it's the season of regret and repentance. And some of you just need to wait for chapter 5 to come to your home. I'm telling you, maybe you're still living in chapter 3, where they're in the world and living it up. But let me tell you that the season of the pigsty is the season that brings them to the season of regret and repentance. And sometimes you've got to let tough love take its place to bring them to the season of the pigsty. Some of you are trying to save your kids from the rebellion, from from the consequences of the rebellion too quickly. And the father never saved the son from the consequences of his rebellion because the only way that they can get to chapter 5 is to go through chapter 4. And tough love lets them get to chapter 4 so they can get to chapter 5. So then what happens after chapter 5 comes chapter 6. And in chapter 6, there's the going back home. And I love this. Okay, I've put it all together. This, this is it. I don't want to stay here anymore. But I'm going home as a different man. I'm not going home the way that I left. 
I'm not going home ignoring the blessing that I had. I'm going home not even demanding that I be restituted back to sonship. I'm actually happy to go home now as a servant. And, and there's, this, there's this season of repentance, this season of penance, this season of going back home. And then what we see is chapter 7. And in chapter 7, we see the son restored. We see the feast. We see the fatted calf killed. We see the robe on his shoulders, the ring on his finger, the sandals on his feet. We see joy and happiness back in the home where there's merriment and dancing. What chapter are you in at the moment? Because whatever chapter you're in, it's not the end of the story. Too many of you are thinking that the chapter you're in right now is the be-all and end-all. It's not. God has not finished with you. And if you want to know how the story finishes, go to the last book of the Bible. Because the last book of the Bible tells us that we get to win. We're on the Lord's side. Who's on the Lord's side? I'm on the Lord's side. And if you're on the Lord's side, you get to win. Why? Because God cannot fail. There is nothing too difficult for him. He is the one that ends up winning. And if you're on the Lord's side, you end up winning as well. Can anybody say amen to that? Second thing I want to talk to you about that God can't do is this. He can't ignore humility. He can't fail. He can't ignore humility. Humility. What's humility? Humility is the realization of our inability and God's ability. That's all humility is, is the realization of our inability and God's ability. In Psalm 51, verse 17, it says, A broken and contrite heart, those, O God, you will not despise. That word despise means that you will not ignore. That word despise is that you will not turn your back on it. It's a broken and contrite heart, humility, a a sincerity of heart. God cannot ignore. He loves humility. If there's one one way to get God's attention, it's through humility. And seriously, what you find here with the story of the prodigal son is when he was willing to humble himself, that's when he got the attention of the father. What's interesting is this, that the father never goes out looking for the son. You don't find the father going into the city looking for the same. You don't find the father at all leaving home until the day of humility comes. And the Bible says that that when he saw his son a long way off, that the father was moved with compassion and ran towards the son. How awesome is that? The running towards the son. Humility did such a thing on the father's heart that he was willing even to look ridiculous because in those days, a father running looked ridiculous. You know, I mean, if you've got little kids, you're running. But we're talking grown men here. And so an older grown man running was undignified. And so he had to gird up his, because, you know, the, the skirts and the loins and, and run towards his son. But the attitude was this. He was willing to show himself as more loving than dignified. I love that because humility does that. It does that. The prodigal son tapped into the love of the father. Humility will never, ever be ignored by God. I want to say to you that pride will always come before a fall. 
And if you, if, if, if you live in pride, you will miss out on God's blessing every single time. First Peter 5, 5 says, God resists the proud, but give, gives grace to the humble. I'll never forget a season in my life when, when I kind of felt that God had finished with me. It's, it, was a, it was just a fascinating season in my life. Let me tell you the story. We'd, we'd been pastoring for about seven years, so it was 1987. And um, we had just done two years as senior pastors up in northern New South Wales. And, and God had spoken to me about coming to Sydney. I had a very clear word about coming to Sydney. What I didn't receive was timing. How many of you know that you can get a word but miss it by not getting the right timing? And so God said, yes, I've called you to go to Sydney. And so I kind of, oh, beauty, I can't wait to go to Sydney. We were living in northern New South Wales. And so we resigned from our church, and I got a call from a friend of mine who said, John, I want you to, if, you know, you've, I've heard that you're finished up in northern New South Wales. I want you to go to the Hunter Valley and plant a church in Curry Curry. Would you do that? And do you know what my heart said? This is what my heart said. You're too good for curry curry. And it was just, it was pride. That's the only way to describe that. And so I just said, no, nah, no, nah, God's called me to Sydney. You know, we're going to pastor a great church in Sydney. And, but I didn't say, you know, I'm too good for curry curry. I just thought it. I didn't say it, but I thought it. How many of you know that God can even hear your thoughts? <laughs> and so then, then I tried to get, go to Sydney. So this is January of 1987. And I could not see any door open for me in Sydney. It was just a horrible period of my life where the doors shut. And, um, and, and so then I went through a season of um, just shut doors. But there was one door that was still open, and that was curry curry, but I was too proud to go through that one. And so all doors were shut. And I remember just falling into this deep abyss of depression and, and, and feeling, well, there you go. So God's used me for a season, and now it's all over. And we actually then moved into my father's house with two little kids. Stephen was born, Daniel was born, and we lived in my old bedroom. So he's Anne and I and our two kids in my old bedroom. And I'm thinking, man, I've done all these incredible things, but now God's finished with me. God's... And so I went through a period of intense depression. Anne was as happy as could be because her attitude was, I'm just obeying God. I'm just doing what God wants me to do. I've got Nonna that's cooking for me and looking after my kids. Yay, this is awesome. This is wonderful. And I'm as depressed as depressed can be depressed and so after I don't know quite a few months of this depression and got hold of me slapped me around the head and said why don't you go and pray and ask God what he wants you to do excellent (laughs) I was telling God what I wanted him to do how many of you know that sometimes we can get caught up in this telling God what he ought to be doing rather than humbling yourself and saying, God, what you want me to do is what I want to do. Mm, yeah. And so I can still remember going to Jesmond Park and just going in there and say, okay, God, if you want me to clean toilets, I'm willing to clean toilets. If you want me to sit in a church for the rest of my life and just pray and worship, I'm willing to do that. And then God says, what about curry curry? <laughs> Pray 
<laughs> and I said, Lord, if you want me to go to Curry Curry, I'm willing to go. I went home, and not one word of exaggeration. As soon as I walked through the door, the telephone was ringing. And on the other end of the phone was Paul Wolford and saying, Hey, John, would you consider again going to Curry Curry? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to go this afternoon, right? This afternoon. She says, That's awesome. And we planted a church in Curry Curry in Cessnock that's still going to this day for the glory of God. We were there for another 18 months, and then the doors opened for us to go to Sydney. When the doors opened, we said, No, God, we're so happy here at Curry Curry. You don't need to go. <laughs> says you are going whether you like it or not okay god i've learned my lesson (laughs) humility i'm telling you the doors will open when you're willing to humble yourself humility draws the attention of god like nothing in this world god is attracted to the humble heart And so there's illustration after illustration in the Bible of, I mean, think about the thieves on the cross. There's one on one side, one on the other side, one full of pride. If you think that you're God, why don't you get yourself off the cross and us as well? And then the other one, we're here because of the sins that we've done. Leave him alone. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And bang, even in his pain, in his suffering, humility just drew the attention of Jesus. Come on, can I just say to you that God will resist the pride, proud, but give grace to the humble. If you're willing to humble yourself and not want to elevate yourself, but wait for God, then he will elevate you in due time. But before you get elevated, you've got to humble yourself. And that humility of heart is the secret to getting the blessing of God. Come on, some of you are wondering why doors are not opening for you. Let me tell you what happened to me. The doors weren't opening because of my pride. But as soon as I humbled myself, as soon as I said, God, if you want me to clean toilets, I'm willing to clean toilets. Whatever you want me to do, even carry, carry, I'm happy to go and party. Whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do. And you know what? I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't said yes to curry curry all those years back. And let me tell you, some of you are going around that mountain just one more time. You keep going because you get to this point of humility and you're not willing. But I'm bigger than that. I'm more powerful than that. I'm mightier than that. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. Let me tell you the third thing that God can't do and we'll finish. He can't let us down. In 2 Timothy 2.13, it says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. How awesome is this? He can't deny himself. He will never let us down. He will never let us down talking to someone the other day and they said to me you know what I stopped believing in God and I turned to him and I said can I just say something to you and he says what's that he says God never stopped believing in you I stopped listening to God well can I tell you God never stopped listening to you I stopped loving God God never stopped loving you He's never stopped looking at you. I've stopped thinking about God. 
He hasn't stopped thinking about you. I've stopped being there for God. He hasn't stopped being there for you. He is faithful. He will never let you down. See, what happens with us is that as soon as we get into a painful situation, we think that God has let us down. As soon as we go through some suffering, we think that God has let us down. As soon as something that we love gets removed out of our lives, we think that God has let us down. Let me tell you what Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33. It says, In this world you will have tribulation. It's a promise, folks. And you can intersperse that word tribulation with trouble, trial, tragedy, and trauma. So this is the promise. It says in this world, you're going to have tribulation, you're going to have trouble, you're going to have trial, you're going to have tragedy, you're going to have trauma. Oh, but come on, I want to go to a church where they preach against that sort of stuff. Well, you're in the wrong church. You need to go to a church that doesn't preach the Bible. Mm? That's the church you need to go to, a church that, that's sort of a really skinny Bible that's pulled out a lot of the pages. You know, one of those skinny Bible churches because they only believe a couple of things rather than the full gamut of God's truth. But if you're going to come to this church, you're going to hear messages like this. Hey, you're going to live in this world? You are going to have trouble. It's part of the deal. I didn't want to come to church to hear that. (laughs) That's not the end of the story. How many of you noticed that next to tribulation, there's a semicolon? And after the semicolon is what? What's, What's the word? What's the word after the semicolon? And you know what but does? Sorry. I know what he is. Can I rephrase that? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just sanctify them, Lord. They need sanctification. When you find that word in a sentence, basically what it does, it actually dissolves everything in front of it. It's like this. Oh, you know, Drew's a good person, but... <laughs> All of a sudden, we've just just totally annulled Drew is a good person because that word but just cancels everything out and we're ready for the new thing. Finish the sentence. <laughs> Drew's a good person, but he's amazing. <laughs> He loves that. So here it is. In this world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Come on. That's the end of the sentence. You say, but, but hang on. Tribulation is not good cheer. Yeah, because it's temporary. It's not the end of the sentence. The tribulation has a finish date. The tribulation has a use-by date. The tribulation is only for a season. The trial is only for a season. The trouble is only for a season. The trauma is only for a season. He has overcome, and you get to win because he cannot deny himself. He is faithful, and those on the Lord's side get to win. (laughs) 
he can't let us down, folks. He can't let us down. The musicians will just come up. I want to finish today by saying this. Sometimes you look at your life and it seems like a mess. And it's like looking at a tapestry. It's like looking, when you go to Europe, they've got huge big tapestries. They've got huge big weavings of tapestries. How many of you ever did tapestry or weaving when you were a kid? And there are two sides to a tapestry. One carries all the knots and intrications and, and, and the messes. And the other has the picture that's beautiful and clear and precise. Sometimes what happens in life is that we only look at the working of the master weaver with all the knots and all the different layouts that just seem unconnected and awkward. And we look at our life and we say, what a mess. You're looking at the wrong side. Because when you look at it from the other side, that's where you see the master plan. That's where you see the work of art. That's where you see what the master weaver has been working on all the time. The work of art, which is your life. Come on, at the moment, you might be looking at the weavings of God and seeing the knots and the complications and thinking, what a mess! begun that work in you has promised to complete it. He that begun that work in you has promised to perfect it. He that begun that work in you has not finished yet. It's not over yet. The final chapter of your life has not yet been written and you might be right now in the midst of the chapter of trial, the chapter of tribulation, the chapter of trauma, the chapter of tears, the chapter of heartache, but it's not the last chapter of your book because he that has begun the good work in you has has not yet finished and the word that we started with, come on, his mercy endures forever, his mercy endures forever. His mercy is available. His love is available. All he wants from you today is humility. All he wants from you today is to say, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I come to you as a humble person. I come to you in humility. Just bow at your feet and commit it all to you. Commit it all to you. Because I just trust that the last chapter in our lives has not yet been written. Hasn't yet been written. That God will complete that which he started. In Jesus' name. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 